Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Rachel Profiling, and also a happy Disability Awareness Month to you. I am so proud of this episode with Claudia Favela. We were able to bring, you know, some educational conversations to you, but just letting you know there are a few audio difficulties within this episode. There's a little bit of buzzing, but it does go away eventually. So go on a little drive, enjoy, and yeah, let's dig in. Hey, what's up, you guys, and welcome back to another episode of Rachel Profiling. As I say every week, I'm so excited for this episode because I have... I would say a childhood friend. We knew each other, got to know each other in like seventh grade. I have my dear friend Claudia Favela on today, and we're going to talk about all things from, you know, our experience as, you know, like adults in training, uh, being a freshman in college, to also uh, she's going to speak on being disabled and how there's a lot of ableism in society. There's a lot we can unpack about that while we're hitting every single issue in society this month, this year. Uh, we're growing, we're learning. But yes, I am here with Claudia Favela. She is a lovely friend of mine. We go, went to high school together at a little bit of middle school. If you want to introduce yourself a little bit, the floor is yours. So hi, my name is Claudia Favela. Um, like Rachel said, I've known her since the seventh grade. Um, I'm a sophomore at Texas State University, and I'm a political science major. So um, when I was in the eighth grade, I got diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is a form of bone cancer, the type of bone cancer that uh, Gus had in The Fault in Our Stars. That's my reference point for everybody. Um, <laughs> and I ended up losing my right leg to cancer. Five years cancer-free now, and I have a super cool prosthetic. Um, so yeah, that's how I became disabled. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so your prosthetic's name is Lacey, right? Oh, yes. My prosthetic's name is Lacey, yes. because she Lacey. Is, you know, she's decorated with lace, so. So, yeah, as we said, Claudia and I went to high school together. We've been pretty good friends throughout the whole time, and it, it's really weird to think about how I kind of saw, like, you go through everything, you know? Like, we've, we've watched each other grow up in general, but just the fact, like, I can't believe that's been, like, what, like, seven years? That's insane to me. But there's so much that I've also got to observe and learn from her, and we can, I kind of want to pack, like, there were times in our school where your disability hindered you from being able to get the best education you could receive. And I wanted to ask you if that's affected your experience now, being at a big state school, are things easily accessible? And just your experience in general at Texas State as a freshman, what made you decide to do poli-sci? So, um, at Texas State, there, unfortunately, Texas State's kind of notorious for not being very handicap friendly, unfortunately. Um, me personally, I'm pretty like mobile as a handicap person. So um, I get around pretty easy on my own in general, um, which is not to say for other people who live with disabilities, but me personally, I can get around pretty much anywhere if I need to. Um, but with that said, I did have to fight a little bit to receive accommodations for um, myself. Um, for example, I have this service, it's called Cats on the Go at Texas State, where um, it's like a golf cart and they drive you around from class to class because our campus is huge, you know, it's a big state school. And um, they told me initially that I wasn't allowed to use Cats on the Go because I had a permanent disability and the scope of the program was only meant for people with temporary disabilities, which obviously <laughs> doesn't yeah, make they didn't want to, they didn't want to adhere to you because they knew it would be a consistent is what it sounds like. Yes. They didn't yes, want to yes, put in but, that time or money. No, definitely not. But also that to me didn't make sense because if you run every single day, 
all day long for people with temporary disabilities. Why can't I hop on with my permanent disability? You know, exactly. it's not like this is a temporary program. It's just a program that's meant for people with temporary disabilities. And I, we got into like, <laughs> it was, it was really difficult at first to, um, you know, fight for my accommodations. And like, luckily I have a really good support system and I know my rights as a disabled person at a public institution, you know, but um, a lot of people, poor people or people who didn't grow up with a good support system like I did, you know, who are disabled don't know that they can keep fighting and that they have rights at school. You know, they don't have to settle for less just because they're disabled. Um, so I, I do know that it was, it would be very discouraging to someone who doesn't have the access like I do, you know? So, but nonetheless, once I got it all figured out, I love Texas State. <laughs> um, yeah, so overall, I wanted to ask you about like, how was your freshman year experience? I love hearing, because I feel like I go to a private school. It's very, very different from everyone's. And you go to, oh, you're still in Texas. And then your family is in California, right? Yeah, my family lives in California and San Diego. They just moved this summer back to San Diego where I grew up. Um, so I'm all alone in Texas. Well, I'm not, I'm not like alone. I just don't have any family members in Texas. Um, so my freshman year was really stressful for me and pretty difficult, actually. Um, I have never been that far away from my family for that long. Um, and I'm pretty close to my family, so that was very difficult. And, my, and I had some bumps along the way, you know, getting around a huge campus, um, getting used to like getting around and time management, especially with my leg was, uh, with my prosthetic is, was pretty difficult for me, especially my first semester. Um, so yeah, but somehow I ended up getting a 4.8, GPA. Yes so ma'am, big brain. Worked my butt off for that GPA. Um, but I, it was pretty difficult for me. I mean, it was like a lot of fun. You know, I go to a big party school in Texas. It's that's, you know, you hear about Texas State and you think about parties. Um, but I just, I didn't really go out that much as much as most people at Texas State go out to. So um, I just stayed pretty focused on my school, but I'm really kind of glad that I did that actually because um, I feel like freshman year is like where you need to find your footing. Like you need to learn how to be like resourceful and how to use your time wisely. And so I definitely took advantage of my low credit hours this semester and just kind of taught myself like stress management, time management, all that fun stuff. Um, and just like learning how to be social and all of that too, you know, learning how to balance that. Yeah, that's really important. I feel like everyone kind of forgets or I always think about how I feel like college is so hyped up for us in high school and everyone's like college is the best years of your life. But then it is like having to it is that like big step into growing up, figuring out time management if you haven't really had the chance or the opportunity to balance a bunch of things in high school and then also figuring out like social life and it's for a lot of us it's like starting fresh, you know, you're on your own, which is a lot. <laughs> But I'm glad that Texas State is treating you well and that you're doing good with it. I wanted to ask you why you chose poli-sci because I feel like last time I talked to you, it was different. Um, so I, I did change my major. I switched to political science because um, I am disabled and I know how difficult it is to um, receive the accommodations 
that you deserve in the country you live in right now specifically it's not always you know very accommodating um everywhere you go and so i really feel very passionately about fighting for people with disabilities and not just people with disabilities i really want to be involved in prison reform and different types of civil rights i want to work with um, sexual assault survivors, um, just all around the board. I want to help people who need to be helped. I want to help people who feel like they don't have a voice. Um, so I feel like political science is my way to go for that. Oh, yes, I love that. And so we have this going joke in my family about um, Legally Blonde because when I was younger, I watched Legally Blonde religiously. Elle Woods was my icon i looked up to her as a mother like i wanted so to good i wanted to be l woods growing up and so i never really thought about it about going to political science like whatever like i really didn't know what i wanted to do then i got to college and i started taking political science classes and i just absolutely fell in love with it and um it just kind of combines all my passions like i love philosophy i love fighting for what's right you know i'm good at arguing and <laughs> um you know, just, just everything that I love. And so um, me and my dad have like a little bet. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to apply to Harvard Law just, you know, because that's what I'm going to do. You know, like, what's the worst thing they can say to me is no, I'm going to apply. Please do. Please no, do. No, it's happening. Good. Because literally the worst thing they can say is no to me. You know, why not? And so me and my dad are like joking about, my dad's like, you're not going to get in. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get in, Brian. I'm going to get in. Like, <laughs> I, you know, he, he just does it to encourage me. But um yeah so, give a, little, a little push yeah yeah he's done it my whole life and so yeah and i'm just saying that when i get into harvard law it's gonna be the biggest manifestation in my whole entire life and that's not yes ma'am and i believe you can do it and you know what then we can live together in boston that's all i have to say that's all i have to say you know that will I also be the manifestation because we've always talked about living together in a small when, little apartment <laughs> oh my gosh claudia and i i have to tell you all we used to hang out every single weekend and we'd watch Let It Shine. And then we would talk about how when we grow up, we're going to live in a little apartment together. And it's going to be like Kurt and Rachel, where we have like this like small, busted, crusted, dusted apartment. It builds character. It does. You have to go through it to appreciate, you know, the good that you're going to get to. Exactly. Exactly. So then we'll be together and that will be another manifestation. Oh, yes, ma'am. It's what we've been working towards our whole life. Yeah, so I'm going to get into Harvard Law, and I'm going to walk my booty into law school with a pink power suit on, and that's what that I have to hype you up for a minute. You're one of those people that you want in your life, you know, like a good friend who is, you've always been very vocal about just fighting for other people's rights and the importance of equality, because it can never hurt someone, and you've always agreed with me that it can never hurt anybody to be kind and to use your voice for good, and I have always admired how outspoken you were about things you believe in because I truly think that you've encouraged me to be as outspoken as I have because I used to when we first became friends I definitely was not the same Rachel that I am right now because I don't think I was out outspoken I just wore a pink tutu and I listened to show tunes and I'd walked your house <laughs> so yes I mean I just am so proud of you and I'm so excited to see everything you do and I'm really glad that Texas State is going well make me cry Rachel it has been such a blessing in my life to watch you grow into this amazing woman and just to continue watching you grow and you're such a positive light like you are so encouraging and so kind and so empathetic and you 
radiate that. Like every, the minute you walk in the room, everybody knows that you have that in your soul. And it's been such a blessing, like having that in my life for so long. And, you know, you were there for me when I didn't have anybody, you know, it was just me and you against the world. So can't, I can't thank you enough for that. The world. <laughs> That's so tender. Thank you. I, I love you. Now that we're dead hyping each other up, let's get into the nitty gritty of things. I really let's get into it. it. Let's read some people. Because, okay. So I was lucky enough that at Berkeley, we have this course called Lens where they, give us a topic. It can be random. Some people's topic was like walking around Boston and learning about Fedway and the Red Sox. And then some people's, like mine, was about disability. And so I didn't sign up for, you know, they gave you like a general idea of what you want to sign up for. So I think I chose like social issues or something along those lines, like worldview. And so I got randomly put in this class about disability and I learned so much. It was taught by a professor who was blind. And I remember one of the first assignments was talking about and writing an essay about someone you know who is disabled and how that has affected you and so I wrote about you and I think I remember sending this essay to you and I just I reflected on it because I didn't realize looking back at it or until I took the moment to look back at it about how much I've watched you experience and how much ableism there is just inherently in our society and how we don't talk about it you know no one really pays attention to it because it's just that normalized and I think that's so disheartening because it's one of the things where if it's not always around you if you don't have someone directly in your life who is affected by it you're not going to realize it and then you may end up hurting someone or you just are you know I don't want to say ignorant but you are ignorant to it so I wanted to ask you about your relationship with yourself with disability and experiences you may have and how others treat you everything along those lines anything you want to say yes so my relationship with myself, I had kind of a different experience than most disabled people or um, I, I want to say specifically amputees. Um, I did not have a random trauma that I woke up and my limb was gone and I didn't know what had happened. I had enough time to process and kind of grieve the loss of my limb before I even lost my limb because I got to choose, you know, I got to choose if I wanted to keep my leg and risk my cancer coming back or if I wanted to amputate my leg. So by the time I had my amputation done, I pretty much had gone through the motions of grieving the loss of my old, my, my old limb and my old self at that point. It was that day was the, the beginning of my new life as a disabled person. And so, um, and thankfully, again, I had a super great support system. My family was so encouraging. I had so many resources where I was that it was, I don't want to say it, it was the easiest that it possibly could have been for me to go from a normal 14 year old girl to a disabled 14 year old girl. And I know that that has contributed to the confidence level that I have because I know that I have people around me who are going to let love me no matter what, you know? Um, so definitely. And also I feel like my disability, again, I was 14 when I, 14, 13, when I lost my leg, I was pretty young. So I was a very, 
caught up in how I looked and am I ever going to get a boyfriend and, you know, how am I going to do this, that, and whatever that a teenager worries about, you know, it's very, I was worried about losing my hair when I had chemo, you know, like those are very shallow, normal teenage things to worry about. Um, but losing my leg, confidence because I found like a beauty inside of myself that I knew that I didn't really focus on before, you know, and I guess that's normal for every teenager, but I feel like I did discover the strength of my voice and my inner beauty way younger than a lot of my girlfriends around me did. Um, so I kind of see that as a blessing in disguise, that I didn't um, place my self-worth in how I looked only. It was still a struggle. I still struggled with, you know, body image issues and everything, but it wasn't because of my leg. It was because I've been the chubby girl my whole life. You know, I still felt like, I, I, for me, it is very easy to see myself as a whole human being instead of just a disabled person. And But I know that that's not everybody's experience as a disabled person. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I really appreciate that look at it because I feel like that's something every girl or everyone almost kind of interacts with at one point in their life with how they view themselves and especially with girls just how we view ourselves and we are constantly at a comparison of one another just because that's how we've kind of grown up to be which is so sad but I'm glad that you found the light in things because I feel like that's something we all face at one point or another and finally I know for myself like finally coming I don't want to say coming to terms but just knowing my worth and my value is so much more beyond my physical appearance, but also how, you know, just who I am as a person, everything changed after that. So yeah. That's a big step to realize. Yeah. And also like, I really loved, I feel like, um, you know, you kind of are who you hang around with. And so I, it always made me sick when my, my beautiful, gorgeous, amazing friends like Rachel, would talk bad about themselves and they would say they're so ugly or blah, 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 you know? And so me learning how to love myself a little bit earlier than my friends, I feel like I had enough love for me and them so that I could show them that they are worthy of love, you know? And I always tell my best friends now, I'm like, when they're talking to a crappy boy or whatever, I'm like, would I be proud of how they're treating you? So I'm, I'm just really happy that I, um, was able to have that amount of like energy for myself plus my friends when I knew that because they were there for me when I was low you know you were there for me when I was low and so I when I got back up I was there for everybody else you know so that was another silver lining for me <laughs> yeah you most definitely were and I love that's how you view it that's something I think about a lot is like would my friends say that about me if I say something mean to myself, I'm like, would my friends say that about me? And then I'm like, no. And I, if someone is telling me what I'm saying to myself, I would immediately like rebuke that and try to hype, you know, just tell, not hype them up, but just tell them the truth and how much I care about them and how like I would never say that about them. So that's just something for all of us to keep in mind. Yes, just a little anecdote. You like that. <laughs> yes. Keep that positive energy going around, you know. We don't want any of that self-deprecation. But you know what? That's totally valid sometimes. Because it, it, we do, we, you know, gain a slumps. But, you know, just like say. Go through emotions, ladies. Yeah. Express yeah. your emotions. Let it out. Let it all out. <laughs> yes, bro. Um, and you said uh, what, how people treat me. Yeah. Okay. 
let's talk about this. So people, how they treat me. So it kind of depends. Um, but for the most part, mm, there's, I feel like there's groups of people, how they treat me. Like there's different, there's like people who know other people who live with disabilities pretty cool they're like oh yeah they see you as a whole human being that happens to have a disability you're not a disabled person you know like you're yeah they don't see it as a weakness yes they they don't they just see it as like a fragment of your life it's not your entire it's not your identity yes so those people are my people i love people who are able to do that but i know um that's not easy for everybody Um, because again, it's like kind of about exposure. Like if you've never met somebody who has one leg, it's going to be really shocking. And I understand that, you know, but I think the problem is that people don't know how to handle things that they don't know. You have no, you just, people get scared, you know, and they're they're like, oh crap, what is whatever. And that happens to a lot of people with disabilities where the people have never encountered their type of disability, um, end up being kind of rude to them because they've never encountered it before. Um, Like for for me, I personally, this isn't every person with disabilities, but for me personally, I would rather people come ask me questions about my prosthetic or how I lost my leg or any of that about my story than for them to break their necks trying to stare at me. Um, But I know that's not how every person is. Some people, you know, become disabled through like a really traumatic event um and they don't always want to talk about that and quite frankly it's really nobody's business how you became disabled um but i do know that people there should be like a general level of respect and like boundaries around disabled people where you get for me get like a 15 second grace period like you can stare at me for 15 seconds before i get feisty either come ask me a question or i'm gonna get feisty like that's just kind of how it is um but it's kind of different for everybody like Or sometimes um, I get kind of frustrated because I'll be doing very normal things. Like I'm at the grocery store and somebody will come up to me and tell me that I'm a rock star for being at the grocery store or tell me that I'm an inspiration because I'm driving around. And it feels very dehumanizing. Well, dehumanizing for one and two, like they're doing it for their own. They were like, okay, I did my good deed for the day. It's not for me, you know? And that also shows when you're biased towards disabled people, when you tell them that they're an inspiration for doing normal people things, or that they're a rock star for reaching toilet paper on the top shelf, you know, you are showing that you do not view disabled people as normal people. You are othering them by saying things like that. And people usually don't have bad intentions when they say things like that, but disabled people go home and think about that. You know, they're like, Mm -hmm. well, I was just pumping gas today. Why did, I wasn't doing anything extraordinary, you know, but somehow this person came up, they needed an ego boost for themselves to feel like a good person. And they came up and told me I was a rock star for doing something that they do every single day. So I know that gets really frustrating. Um, and then there's people who just think you're a freak, you know, they're disgusted by you. Um, usually these are like boys. <laughs> Women are a little, usually a bit more empathetic to like differences that people have, their unique little features. Um, usually men are pretty, the ones that 
are disgusted by you. Um, it's pretty scary. Like <laughs> they'll say some really mean things to you, you know, that you're a freak or, or men always, their first question that men ask me so gross is, do I take my leg off when I have sex? Uh, the first question, not how did I lose it? Not, you know, what's the hardest thing about being an amputee? It's do you take, do you take your leg off when you have sex? Which, you know, that's just, that's ableist, that's sexist, yeah, like, yeah, like, go on. Because the I first thing you think about me when you see me as a woman is sex. Mm-hmm. You, and, and, or some of them are like, do you have sex? Like, how'd you get a boyfriend? I'm like. Yeah, I don't understand how people can't see how that's wrong on so many levels. Yeah. No, people it's just, just feeling bold. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I feel like you said that's ableist, that's sexist. They're sexualizing you for what? For my disability, which they find repulsive themselves, but still somehow sexualized. Or men with amputee fetishes, like, I'll get followed around malls, and they'll offer me money. Like, it's so scary. They'll offer me money to, like, take off my prosthetic in front of them or send them pictures of my of my residual limb, like, it's so scary. And, and I, okay, so I go to this amputee camp every summer and people with amputee fetishes are called devotees. And um, the thing about devotees is that usually they're also pedophiles. So we have to talk to our little campers about devotees and say, hey, if somebody comes into your Instagram DMs and asks you for a picture of your leg, don't send it. And these are the conversations we have to have with eight-year-old little girls and boys and everything in between because these people think it's okay to sexualize your disability and they don't care how old you are if you have one leg they don't care wow yeah that is i'm literally in shock i've i would have never known that that's a thing that's so disgusting i don't under well yeah it's awful and it's an awful conversation to have too you know like and they're everywhere and you don't even know <laughs> they're everywhere i want to talk about like dating as an amputee because this okay. is something that lots of amputees struggle with so especially girls girls who are amputees i know struggle with this a lot um with that their boyfriends or partners or whoever they're dating um, people tend to praise them for being the girl's partner. They think that their partners deserve a cookie, that they are an extra good person for dealing with somebody who's disabled. And it's kind of like, again, you're not seen as a full human being. You know, you're just your disability at that point that, oh my God, like I could never date a girl with one leg. And you're like, okay, I could never date an idiot. So like, whatever, you know, it's just so frustrating. And I know a lot of girls like who are amputees get down about that because I mean, even when I was having my leg amputated, I was like so scared. I was like, I'm never gonna get a boyfriend ever again. You know, like I was terrified that I was never going to get a boyfriend. Um, But again, this is like one of those things where you really have to learn that your beauty goes beyond 
disability and you know beyond your looks i want to go back real quick on how people feel the need to praise those who are disabled for just living their lives and also the use of the word normal because that's something i learned that's like it's kind of harmful when people use the word normal when talking about able-bodied people because to them to, to those who are disabled that is your normal life you are normal that is who you are you know it's not your identity but it's a part of your life and that's how you know you live your lifestyle your day-to-day life and when people use that word normal it can be very dehumanizing and then on top of that looking back on how people feel like you know they need like a little ally cookie Uh, I think back on, (laughs) I think back on in middle school when there'd be those, all the teachers have like the same quote unquote inspirational posters and there would be one of like a girl in a wheelchair or yeah, someone who has like an amputee or something. And it's like, if they can do it, you can do it. And it's like, do you realize how that can be so harmful? Cause you're putting this, you're seeing those people, not as people, but as like these figments to motivate you to do better. So it it's called disability porn. Have you heard of this? You yes, that's, what, that, that's that? the word I'm looking for. That's what we it's, learned about that in our class. Yes. And how people use that to try and make themselves feel better or make themselves do more. Yes. Or like, or when people, for me, people are like, oh, I don't know why I'm complaining. Like I could have it worse like you. I'm like, I'm doing just fine. Like I'm doing great. I have a beautiful Yeah, you're life. doing beyond great, girl. I, like, you know, you sound like you have it worse than me right now, quite frankly, you know? So, but yeah, disability porn's like a huge thing, especially in the media. I want to talk about like disability representation in the media specifically. Yeah. Um, disability porn is a huge thing. There's a few archetypes that disabled characters get to take and they never depict disabled people as anything more than their disability. Um, you know, you're either like a freak show and we're villainized, you know, because, you know, like when you watch, I'm trying to think of like a TV show where TV show or a movie. I have this one movie in mind and I think it's, is it me before you? Oh, that one? Absolutely not. (laughs) It's so horrible. I can link a video in the show notes where I watched this guy who has, I don't, I don't know if it was muscular dystrophy. It might've been something else. But he had the disability that the character had in the movie. And I, thought the the thing people, his, I thought the character got into, like, an accident. I believe so. Oh my yeah. God. He got in an accident, and then yeah. this girl was supposed to, like, make him happy, or else he was going to send himself to that place in Sweden, I think, where it's, like, yeah, the they, where they kill you. Yeah. They kill you, yeah. Uh, and I watched this video about this man talking about it who has – that disability, and uh, I just think everyone should watch it, so I'll link it below, but nevertheless. Definitely. Um, The people who write these books and make these movies, too, they don't do any research on what it's like having a disability. Absolutely not. They do absolutely nothing. I wrote a paper about this earlier in the year, um, about media representation of people with disabilities. There's only a few archetypes, you know, you're either, like, the freak show, or you're disability porn, you're an inspiration. Um, you know, that's like the movies they make about like the Boston runner and who, you know, what was, what was his name? Who lost both of his legs? I'm not I don't sure, remember. but I know he's talking about They made about. a movie about him who lost his legs in the Boston marathon. Like, I mean, it's not an inspiration. That was one of the mass, most traumatic 
experiences of his life. He did what he had to do to survive. And that's it. You would do the same if you went through that too. You know, like people always say like, oh, I couldn't do what you did. And it's like, yes, you would because you don't have any other choice. You know what I mean? And people don't understand that. They think it's like this mystical strength that you suddenly get when you go through something traumatic or you become disabled or whatever. And it's like, no, everybody has it in them. You just haven't gone through it. Or I do want to talk about like, apart from physical disabilities, there are mental disabilities that are more than physical disabilities, extremely villainized in the media. Like, I know there's a lot of ableist language that goes alongside with, you know, mental illnesses as well that are super prevalent in our society and used like nothing that are very harmful to people who are disabled. So I already kind of touched on this. We kind of talked about it a little bit already, but I want to ask you what your thoughts are on the use of the word normal in regards to people who are disabled or in having a conversation where you talk about someone who's disabled versus someone who is abled. So obviously calling able-bodied people normal has been something that I've experienced since I became a person with a disability. Um, and kind of said this before, but when you call able-bodied people normal, normal, it means that people who are disabled are abnormal. Um, and although that's true, I guess, because we are out of the I don't want to say norm, like most people don't have disabilities. I understand, but the word abnormal or other than normal is inherently negative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that there's something wrong with you. Um, it has just, a deteriorating connotation. Yes, yes. Like just because we're different, it doesn't mean that we're bad or that, you know, we're not normal, full human beings with feelings and emotions and passions and everything, you know, we're, but we're certainly dwindled down to address our disability pretty often, unfortunately, especially within our language and our society. Um, so it's definitely pretty frustrating. I mean, even I myself have had struggles with teaching myself um, not to use ableist language and learning not to say that like able bodies are normal people because that's dehumanizing to myself, you know, but as somebody with disability, you yourself are ingrained with those things that you are abnormal and that you're wrong for existing because you don't have two legs. You know, that's what I, that's what you grow up hearing that you're a freak if you have one leg. So something you definitely, even as a person with a disability, if you're not born disabled, you have to teach yourself that, you know, that you create your own normal. Whatever is normal for you is normal. It doesn't have to be normal to society. You know, you don't have to conform to what society expects of somebody, you know, because I'm 19 years old. I'm not supposed to have one leg, but I do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I have to live with. So that's my normal. I don't even like the word normal. Like, that's just my life you know, and it's impossible to fit a whole society of people, whole population of people into this one box that's expected of you, you know, it's just impossible. Yeah, and we also want to touch a little bit more on how disability is viewed in the media and going back to how you struggled or how, you know, you have to fight this internal monologue or what other people are, are thinking or saying where it's like you're a freak because you only have one leg or because you're disabled about how 
a lot of times the media can portray people who are disabled as like these creatures or like these unicorns that we have to uh we have to pity or they become like the poster child for you know billboards for hospitals or fundraisers a lot of the times when it comes to fundraisers and raising money so i think it's important we talk about how we need to be aware of how we see people who are disabled and how society has warped our perception into how we think and then also yeah when we talk about these things about using the correct language stop using ableist language we're not trying to sound like hoity-toity you know because i i agree with you when you say it's like i've had to teach myself not to say certain things or to be more aware of what i am saying uh and to choose better words choose better vocabulary because it's just become a part of you know we a lot of the times this goes also kind of how you know everything intersectionality it's everywhere uh with internet language a big topic of conversation lately has been AAV, uh where we've picked up words and we've changed our vernacular to speak this quote-unquote internet lingo would actually can be very harmful hitting the nail on the head you know um yeah so i think it's an uphill battle for everybody um that you kind of need to accept that, you know, I have these ableist internalized thoughts in me or these sexist internalized thoughts or these racist internalized thoughts, you know, and you need to actively train yourself not to say those things, not to think those things. Um, the first step of that is realizing that you have those internalized things, you know, like, and for me, especially as a disabled person, it was difficult for me to accept the fact that I had ableist language and tendencies, you know, because I'm disabled, like, how can I be ableist if I'm disabled? And it's like, it's because that's what I was taught, you know? Watching, you know, the media, just how other people interacted with people who live with disabilities, that's how you learn to treat people, you know? It's by watching the media and watching your family and your friends, how they treat people with disabilities. And so you have to actively train yourself to be anti-ableist, anti-sexist, anti-racist, you know? It's it's not enough just to disagree with it at this point. You have to make yeah, it you have to be actively making yes. an effort to be a voice for those people to do good. Because just saying you're not racist, you're not ableist, it's just being complacent. Yes. Yes, period. Okay, so there's another topic we want to hit in regards to disability, and that's sexual assault slash intimate partner violence that I feel like a lot of people either they don't think about that or they aren't aware of it. So let's dig into it. Yes. So within the disabled community, well, the disabled community itself, um, for most people, the topic is pretty taboo. They don't want to talk about it. It's an uncomfortable topic to talk about for most people. They don't even talk about disabled people in general. But on top of that, sexual assault and intimate partner violence or domestic violence is also another taboo topic. You don't talk about it. And if you don't talk about it, it doesn't happen, you know? <laughs> Disabled people are at an extremely high risk um, to be sexually assaulted or experience intimate partner violence. Um, the American Public Health Association came out with um, a study. They were trying to find um, like the correlation between sexual assault and disability. And they um, discovered that within the 12 months preceding the study, um, 1.27 million women had been sexually assaulted in the um, 12 months prior. 
um, and that almost 500,000 of those women, meaning 39% of the total makeup of women who had been sexually assaulted were women with disabilities. So obviously, considering disabled people only make up about 19% of the population, having them make up 40% of the sexual assault victimization is super scary and super dangerous. And people don't talk about it because um, a lot of the times there's a big stigma around um, disabled people not being sexual or that they, you know, they don't have sex, they don't have partners. They're not desirable, so of course they can't be raped, right? If they're not desirable, people make these assumptions. Um, or even disabled people themselves, they don't feel that they can speak up about their sexual victimization, um, about their assaults, about their abusers, because for the most part, partners of disabled people are given a little bit of leeway when it comes to abuse because um, people believe that they deserve leeway for dealing with someone, I say in quotations, who has a disability. Um, and obviously that's super dangerous uh, for people with disabilities who are alone. A lot of times people who live with disabilities, their abusers are their caretakers. They are their boyfriends and girlfriends or their partners. They're not random strangers. And this isn't just women with disabilities. Men with disabilities are also at an ex like a, a much higher rate than able-bodied men to be sexually assaulted and sexually victimized. So 6.3% of, this is done by the American Public Health Association also. This, the same study showed that men without disabilities, or 6.3% of men with disabilities reported sexual victimization in the preceding 12 months to the study, but only 5.1% of men without disabilities had experienced sexual assault. So that means that 24% of total men yearly who are sexually victimized live with a disability. Again, yeah. men and women who live with disabilities um, only make up 20% of the global population. So. Yeah, y'all hear those numbers? I don't understand why. Well, I guess, like you said, there's such a stigma and there's such like a, it's like taboo to be talking about if people are, or when the people who are disabled have sexual relations, if they are being treated with consent, those numbers are so drastic. It's I, I'm so shocked that we haven't. I feel like there's so limited representation and there's very few discussion when it comes to the disabled community. The National Council on Disability did another study on the sexual victimization of people with disabilities, but specifically on college campuses um, in the U.S. Basically how inaccessible it is to report if you are sexually assaulted as somebody with a disability um, for example, if you're deaf or, or you're or you're blind, or you have any other, basically any kind of disability, how difficult it is for you to get to a police station to report. And even if you do get the police station, do they have the appropriate accommodations for you to report your assault once you get there? And most of the time, it's no. They don't have an interpreter or, you know, they, they, there's a lot of things or for people with like disabilities, there's no, or for people with physical disabilities that have a hard time getting around, like, is there transportation to the police station that I can get there whenever I need to, you know? But this, this study showed on college campuses that about 18.4% of women that are non-disabled are sexually assaulted during their undergraduate studies, but almost 32% of women with disabilities, that's double, 
are sexually assaulted during their undergraduate studies. And most of the time, <laughs> most of the time, there are no prevention plans, there are no accommodations. Disabled people are completely taken out of the picture, out of the conversation when they talk about sexual assault. Why um, do you think that is? We're a forgotten community. We're just not important enough. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people don't feel like we contribute to society because of our disability. Um, therefore, we're often left out of conversations or if, if you have a mental disability, some people do not value your opinion um, because they do not feel that you are in quotations sane enough to have one, um, unfortunately. So there's kind of a stigma around that, that people with disabilities um, are like mentally incapacitated to a certain extent, no matter what your disability is. So there's just kind of a stigma around that disabled people are not capable of um, having their own opinions. Hearing those numbers, it just puts such an emphasis on the fact that it's like, why aren't we talking about this? Why aren't we supporting the disabled community? And why aren't we talking about it? And, you know, taking action to prevent this when, these numbers are so drastic. And like even for intimate partner violence, like if you go look at the risk faster, the risk factors for intimate partner violence, disability is listed as one of the risk factors. Mm. So it's recognized that you're at a higher risk of being assaulted, of being abused as a disabled person, yet there's no action behind it. You have no prevention plans. You don't include us in laws, in your language. They, they don't include us. They're, they completely erase the extra accommodations that disabled people need to be respected, to, to um, convict their abusers and their assaulters. It's completely left out of the, like, for example, one of the, and abuse for disabled people usually, well, not usually, sometimes domestic abuse, looks a little bit different than the type of domestic abuse that able-bodied people go through. Like for example, if you are in a caretaking position, um, sometimes the caretaker will not let their partner go to the bathroom. And that's a form of domestic abuse. They'll make them sit in their urine or their feces all day long as punishment. Or um, for women, reproductive health, like sometimes their partners, to prevent them from reporting them or to prevent them from leaving, um, their partner slash caretaker will take away their birth control and rape them so that they get pregnant. And it these type this type of abuse is not recognized in laws in the language when they're written. It's just completely ignored. And a lot of the times, because it's not listed in these laws. When people, survivors, survivors of disabilities who have enough courage to go report, nothing happens for them because there's a stigma around partners um, of people with disability, one. And two, the language doesn't protect them in the laws. We're not protected from abuse, from assault. It's just, we're completely ignored, unfortunately. So here, these are common misconceptions written by a lawyer that happened in a courtroom. This is specifically about women, but it can be applied to men as well. But some of the misconceptions are 
that women with disabilities are not abused. It is just too low and cowardly um, to assault or threaten someone who cannot fight back. Women with disabilities are not sexual and do not form intimate relationships in the first place. They certainly cannot be victims of domestic violence. Even if they do experience the occasional act of abuse, the men who care for them deserve a little leeway. It is too much to expect a man with such a difficult job, a martyr really, not vent his frustration every once in a while. Besides, women with disabilities are childlike and their accusations should not be believed. So, people with disabilities who are abused know that the people they report to think like that, unfortunately. And that their judge is gonna think like that, that the police officers that they report think like that. And they're stuck. <laughs> they're stuck with their abusers. And that was a and, lawyer who wrote that? Yeah, it was a lawyer who wrote this, an attorney um, who wrote about the common misconceptions that a person who's disabled, like a survivor of domestic abuse or sexual assault or something, or about the common misconceptions that um, they experience, like when they're reporting their abuse. Um, and a lot of the times, she also explains that a lot of the times they just outweigh, like they end up staying because they decide that going through all of that just to lose isn't worth it, mm-hmm. you know, because you're being dehumanized in your home with your partner, and then you're going to have to go to court and prove that you're enough of a human to be protected. It's not worth it. And it's also not safe, because if they lose, they go back home with their partner, and then you have a pissed off, abusive partner who's already abused you, you know, like, he's all they've already done the worst. Which is so... I mean, I feel like I've already used this word, but it's so disheartening. And that just proves the point that it's like, why we need to be talking about this now. Why I'm so glad to have friends like you who can advocate for this and why we need to be more vocal about it and do what we can to support the disabled community. Because the truth is we are the future lawmakers. We are the future lawyers and educators who can make this difference with this. And we need to take the time to educate ourselves because it can never hurt to be a voice for other people, which I'm just in such shock that these things just go on and happen without, you know, any coverage. No one's talking about it. There's hardly any representation of it just because it is this constant loop where it's like you feel like you can't win and you can't win. And like you said, there's a lot of like you mentioned intersectionality earlier. Like there's a lot of intersectionality within like the disabled community, especially with um, sexual assault survivors. So like not usually like there's a large percentage I want to say like only 13% I believe was the number only 13% of people with disabilities have a bachelor's degree. So that's pretty low for the amount, you know, there's they only have 13%. And so um having less than a bachelor's degree is also another risk factor for sexual assault, sexual victimization, intimate partner violence. Intimate partner violence, low education is um another risk factor. Poverty is another risk factor. You know, no health insurance is another risk factor. And these are all things that are connected to disabilities as well, that your disability disability causes or like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's just like this huge interwoven thing and they're all ignored. They don't, they don't um, recognize the connections between all of them, that people with disabilities are usually, not usually, that people with disabilities are at higher risk for poverty. They're at a higher risk to have less than a bachelor's degree. They're at a higher risk to have no health insurance. They're at a higher risk, you know what I mean? There's a million things, and all of these things that they're at a higher risk for also put them at a higher risk for sexual assault, and also put them at a higher risk for sexual victimization, and also 
put them at a higher risk to experience domestic violence. And it's completely ignored. And we have these, we have these studies, we have the research, we have the numbers, it's proven that it happens. Lawmakers know that it happens. The National Council of Disability knows that it happens. And we're still excluded in the language and in the laws. Super important to talk about. <laughs> this is something that I wrote in my paper that I kind of really love. It kind of calls out the fact that we're ignored. Um, it says, for a country that espouses taking care of its own, and for a culture that, albeit outwardly, is especially now looking for the good all around, the statistics of abuse of the disabled are horrific. In fact, such statistics point to a culture that is willing to further victimize the already marginalized of society by leaving the disabled out of policies, policies and prevention plans, by failing, to construct, by, by failing to construct and then enforce universal definitions of abuse against the disabled, and by failing woefully to support and seek justice for the most fragile of our citizens. You better have gotten an A for that essay. I, well, okay, he pissed me off because I got I got an A, but I, I worked so hard on that paper, Rachel, you have no idea. I was like, I better get like a, like a 98, like a 99, you know, I, like there's bound to be a mistake or something. Mm -hmm. He gave me a 93 because he didn't like my title. That's out of pocket. That's out of pocket. That's Bro, ridiculous. My title, I'll read you my title. Defending the Disabled as Victims of Violence and Abuse, Recommendations for the American Culture. What's wrong with that? That's a great, it gives you the info, it ties you in, it's juicy, it's factual. What more can you ask for? But then, thank you. But then I turn to my final paper, he's like, you should really send this to the university star. Great work like you did all year. I'm like, sir, Claudia and I also wanted to talk about a little bit beyond disability, just issues around the world right now in general. We already went on a little coronavirus rant for a hot minute. The flu is more dangerous. Nobody's talking about the flu. Do you know how many people die every year from the flu? And I'm like, oh, so you trust the same organization that puts out the flu statistics, but you don't trust their COVID statistics that come from the same organization? If you didn't, if you believe them then, why don't you believe them now? Because if you really want to get into it, if you don't believe that they're, if you, if you believe they're falsifying COVID-19 cases, why wouldn't they falsify flu cases? They could do the same thing with the flu. Because we just have a lot of, we have, we are here to speak speaking. We have a lot on our mind. And we both are very vocal women who want to take action, have an influence. And, you know, speaking of powerful women, we have Miss AOC, who was recently this week called a bitch. Attacked. Verbally yeah. attacked. Absolutely ridiculous. Listen, the fact that this powerful woman, she is so powerful that a man who's supposed to be so educated, so graceful, brings himself down to calling her an effing bitch. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on here. You're allowed to cuss. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He brings himself down. He's supposed to be the top tier citizen. He's supposed to be leading our country, leading by example. And he is so intimidated by our queen AOC that he can't think of any other words in his extensive vocabulary than fucking bitch because he's so overwhelmed by the amazing feminine powerful energy in his being in his realm calling him out for the 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 institutional racism criminalizing poverty our awful prison and police force systems 
calling him out that he is complicit in those systems and that he lets these things happen. He decided to say in his apology, he, he said that, um, I've been married for 45 years and I got two daughters or whatever the hell hillbilly shit he said. Um, just because you have daughters and a, um, wife doesn't mean that you're a decent man. Ted Bundy has a daughter and a wife. We don't call him a decent man, sir. Mm -hmm. That's not your getaway, get out of jail free card because you have a wife and a daughter. You can still be an asshole at home. That's like being racist and saying, I have one black friend. My daughter has a black boyfriend. I can't be racist. Like, come on, bro. Like, and then you want to go in front of, like, you are, you are on the stairs of the Capitol building, and there's other representatives calling you out saying he, they heard you call her a fucking bitch, and you want to deny it? I just want to applaud AOC for how she handled it. She handled it with so much grace and so much poise. She's so amazing, and she is so powerful. I'm so glad to have, like, a Latina woman in power like that and to watch her handle these things like it's nothing. She's on it, on it, on it. And white men are terrified. They're terrified right now. They're scared because they realize that they're no longer the ones who are in full power. No. And that's what and Trump's America, that's what Make America Great Again is all about because they want white people to be the superior again. And they're just too scared. Our generation is batshit crazy, if you haven't noticed. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I, I was telling, I was talking to my mom about this the other day that I am so excited for our kids to see how powerful they're going to be because they're going to be raised by super inclusive, powerful, outspoken people. You know, it's just going to be a whole new generation of people who aren't afraid to fight for what's right. People aren't scared anymore. Like, we don't care. We don't care. We're going to go out and we're going to fight for what's right. We're not going to put up, I don't care what generation you grew up when you being racist is not acceptable anymore. I don't care it's what generation ideas. you grew up in, you're, you're, you being sexist, making sexist comments isn't okay anymore. It's not the norm, you know? So, and that's why I just love AOC because she is just the epitome of our new generation coming to light right now. Like, I am so excited. We're making change. Yeah, We're making difference and it starts with a conversation. Like have my own my own practice full of like just like a beautiful fucking rainbow of diversity of women in my own practice like that's what I want I want I want disabled women I want black women I want Asian women I want Latina women I want us all here super powerful and we're gonna be fucking amazing in my practice bro like that's that's my dream I'm so excited for you because I can already envision like the picture on the wall of everyone in your practice and you're that all wearing so these suits and you just all look so bad. And you answered my last question for you, for me, because something I try to ask all my guests is what is your biggest dream? And oh. I love that dream. Oh, yes. That is my biggest dream. Um, I want to do that. And then when I retire, I want to be a law professor and teach yeah. a class like how to get away with murder. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I feel like we hit so many good points, and I want to thank you for coming on and for educating me and so many people. I know so many people will listen to this and learn so much, which is so valuable, accessible education of utmost importance. So thank you again. Well, thank you so much for having me. I definitely, obviously, am very passionate about talking about these things.
And I think it's so important for us to have these taboo in quotation conversations um, and making them not taboo anymore. So I just really want to thank you for um, allowing me to take up some time on your amazing, beautiful, gorgeous platform. Oh. Well, you um, are very, very welcome. And I definitely will have you on again, for sure, especially the day when we reunite. Anyways, I hope you guys all enjoyed this episode. Be sure to leave us a rating, review, follow Claudia on the gram at Claudia Favela with two A's. And I will catch y'all next week for another episode of Rachel Profiling. Bye.